Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's podcast. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you, and I also hope that it challenges you. And I want you to know that we are in our year in the greatest commandment, looking at this great commandment from Jesus to love God and to love people. And so I hope more than anything that this encourages you to love God and to love the people around you in a more holistic way. I also hope that you have some people around you to talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we would love to see you at one of our Sunday gatherings or in one of our Restore groups. You can get all that information on our website at RestoreAustin.org. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And King Jesus will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. Last Sunday, we started something called the Matthew 25 Challenge in partnership with our friends at World Vision. And for those of you that weren't here, this challenge is a, a week of very small daily sacrifices designed to give us a, a tiny glimpse into the reality of what many people around the world experience every day. And it's based on the words of Jesus I just read from chapter 25 of Matthew's account of his life. On Monday, we skipped lunch and ate rice and beans for dinner. A few hunger pains around 3 p.m. caused me to stop what I was doing and actually look into what real hunger looks like worldwide. I found that there are 821 million people who go hungry any given day. More than 300 million of those are children, not like skip lunch hungry, like no food at all hungry. Just to put it in context for you, that's about one of every nine people around the world. Every 3.6 seconds, someone dies of hunger, and the large majority of those are children under the age of five. On Tuesday, we drank only water. No coffee, no Cokes, no tea, no alcohol. I'd heard some stories from friends who'd done this challenge about the caffeine headaches, and, and so I was a little you know, worried about that. But not having coffee didn't end up bothering me nearly as much as something else I experienced on Tuesday. You see, at noon, just like every noon during the week, World Vision sent us a text message with a story. Tuesday was Esther's story, and Esther has to make long and dangerous journeys four times a day to collect water that isn't even clean, that actually makes her sick. She has witnessed friends and relatives in her village die many times because of this journey, some from diseases due to contaminated water, some from snakes and parasites that lurk around the shallow water, some from drowning because they try to swim out to the middle of the pond that's near their village because the water around the banks is so unclean. After learning Esther's story, I looked up statistics for others like her, and I found that two billion people 
around the world are dependent on a contaminated water drinking source. Two billion people are dependent on unclean water. In fact, a lack of clean water is the preventable cause of death on planet Earth. Number one, it's not close. It kills more people every year than all the wars and violence around the world put together. On Tuesday, I was so disturbed by how easy it was for me to get fresh, clean drinking water anywhere at any time. The water that comes out of my taps at home is perfect. The water that comes out of my hoses in my backyard is perfect. The water that comes out of my fridge is perfect and it's chilled. Amazing. But I actually don't love the taste, so we have a Brita pitcher in my fridge. In our office, we have bottled water, tap water, filtered water, and sparkling water. The filtered water is really just for coffee. Any restaurant in our city will give you a cup of ice water totally free, even if you don't order anything else. Everywhere I went on Tuesday and the rest of the week, I, I noticed just how many times I was greeted with, can I get you some water? A question I've been asked and I've answered a million times, but I hear it differently now. Because now I hear it from Esther's point of view. On Wednesday, we slept on the floor, and we learned about the refugee crisis around the world. One in 113 people around the world are displaced. I had to walk from my bedroom to my living room, leave my mattress behind for one night. Most refugees have to run for their lives from the only home they've ever known to a camp with horrific conditions, leaving everything behind except the clothes on their back, not just for one night, but for the rest of their lives. By the end of 2018, more than 70 million people were forcibly displaced worldwide, the most in history. They had to flee their homes because of violence and persecution. Since then, the numbers have only grown. According to the United Nations, one new person becomes displaced every two seconds. Every two seconds. On Thursday, we wore the same clothes we wore the day before, and we got to hear a story of a woman named Cholwe, who only has enough water to wash her family's small set of clothes twice a month. Extreme poverty and a lack of clean water contribute to millions of families wearing the same clothes for weeks on end. We have seen incredible strides in this area. Through organizations like World Vision and a coalition of countries through the United Nations, 25% of the world has actually been lifted out of extreme poverty since 1990, a really beautiful thing. But still today, over 700 million people worldwide live in extreme poverty attempting to survive on less than a dollar and 90 cents a day. On Friday, we reached out or visited someone walking through a difficult time. I called a friend who is going through the ups and downs of life after being incarcerated. He was actually the third friend that I've talked to in the last two weeks about what life is like during and after being locked up. I also reflected on some of the statistics about incarceration, specifically in our country. Since 1980, the incarcerated population has increased from 500,000 to 2.3 million. That's a 500% increase over 40 years. That's about 700 out of every 100,000 residents in our country. It leads the world. Second place is El Salvador. 
with 600 people out of every 100,000. Rwanda is third with 465, and Russia is fourth with 383 people, about half of the incarcerated people in the United States. 21% of all incarcerated people are in our country. That means more than one out of every five people locked up around the world are in the United States of America. Poor people and people of color are incarcerated at incredibly disproportionate rates. The African Americans and Hispanic people make up about 32% of the U.S. population. They make up about 56% of the prison population. African Americans are locked up about five times the rate of white people. In jails specifically, which are a little different from prisons, more than 75% of the folks behind bars in jails have not been convicted of a crime. They sit there because they don't have enough money to pay bail or the fines that they owe. This one hit really close to home for me. Many of you know that Amy and I were foster parents for two years, had three little boys in our home during that time. Every single one of their dads were incarcerated. Along with attempting to get a small glimpse of what life is like for our brothers and sisters around the world this week during the Matthew 25 challenge, we were supposed to be praying for them as well all week. And then Saturday, we were supposed to actually take a block of time, a 30-minute segment of time to take a walk, to sit down, to go somewhere else and actually spend that intentional time praying, reflecting on what we'd learned throughout the week. During my walk, God brought to mind just how fortunate I am just how fortunate most of us are. You see, the vast majority of us, even those who are living paycheck to paycheck, we're relatively rich when you kind of consider the world's population. See, if your combined household made $1,500 in the last year, you are richer than 80% of the world's population. If you made more than $1,500, richer than 80%. If your combined household made more than $10,000 in the last year, you are richer than 90% of the world's population. If your household combined made more than $50,000 in the last year, you, we, are the 1%. We are richer than 99% of the world's population. Most of us are so rich. Now I know that from the numbers that I just shared, but I also know because we have something called extra. We have extra. Let me give you a few examples of the extra that we have. A lot of us, we walk to a drawer or a closet full of clothes and we think, I have nothing to wear. That's extra. A lot of us paid for entertainment over the last year. We didn't just entertain ourselves, we paid for Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or we went to a movie or we bought music or something like that. That's because we have extra. If you've ever upgraded, if you've ever taken something that works, a phone, a car, an apartment, a television, and you've upgraded to something else that works, you have extra. If you've ever spent more than $1 on a cup of coffee, you have extra. If you've ever gotten an Amazon package you ordered and had no idea what was in it, you have extra. That happens to me all the time, I don't know about you. I get home, I'm like, Amazon? I have to check the name. I'm like, is it, did I order something? Was it Amy, my wife? I don't know, did Judah hack our account and order something? Oh no, this is something I ordered for myself two days ago. That's extra. 
If you've ever had so much food that some of it expired or it went bad and you had to throw it away, you have extra. I have extra. Most of us have extra. But here's what I want you to take away from this. The point is not how much extra. The point is what we do with the extra that we have. Now, I know that privilege can be a loaded term, but the truth is the vast majority of us are incredibly privileged because of our family of origin or our birth country. We have advantages that our sisters and brothers around the world simply don't have. But listen, the issue is not that we have privilege. The issue is what we do with it. The issue is what we do with it. You're not a bad person because you were born in America. You're not a bad person because of the color of your skin. You're not a bad person because you come from wealth. You're not a bad person because you have extra. It is about what you do with the advantages that you have been given. The Matthew 25 challenge isn't designed to make us all feel bad because we have advantages that others do not. It's designed to help us see just how advantaged we really are and then understand the command from Jesus to share our extra. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say the way that we share our extra, the way that we love and serve people, the world calls the least of these, but Jesus calls his brothers and sisters, the way we do that is equivalent, equivalent to how we love and serve Jesus. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. He makes them equal. He makes them the same. Notice what Jesus doesn't mention here. He doesn't say, when you did your quiet time, you were doing it for me. He doesn't say, when you spent time in prayer, you were doing it for me. He doesn't say, when you had perfect attendance in Bible study, you did it for me. Because do you know what that is? And, and, and listen, please don't, please don't miss, miss this. Because everything that I just mentioned, quiet times, Bible studies, praying, everything you've essentially heard called spiritual disciplines, they're great. But they are not for Jesus. They're for us. You see the difference there? Those things are not for Jesus. They're not how we love and serve Jesus. Spiritual disciplines don't serve Jesus. Spiritual disciplines serve us. They are good and they are right and they are beautiful and they are important, but don't for a moment think that Jesus is being served when you study your Bible. Jesus is working through the words on the page to serve you, to change you, to help you, to conform you to more of the likeness of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the point of spiritual disciplines. We are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And why do we do that? Why do we pray? Why do we study the Bible? Is it so that we can be better at Bible trivia? So that we can brag about spending an hour in prayer every day? No, we practice the spiritual disciplines so that we can be transformed into a more full representation of Jesus here on earth. They're for us, and they're good. But don't mistake them for being for Jesus. They're not. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul talks about this. He talks about what it's like to be the body of Christ, what it means to be his representatives, his fullest representatives here on earth to accomplish his purposes, to do the things Jesus did while he was here on earth. 
He tells the Ephesians that they have each been given different gifts, right? Different passions and experiences by God in order to be the fullest expression of Jesus' love. And then he tells them exactly why God did this. Ephesians 4, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service. To equip his people for works of service. That's why he did these things. That's why we read scripture. That's why we pray. That's why we study. To be equipped for works of service. We are the body of Christ, diverse in our expression, but united in our purpose, which is to love and serve the world around us without prejudice, without qualification. We actually talked about this at length in the teaching series we just wrapped up a few weeks ago called Won't You Be My Neighbor? It was all about Jesus' command to love and serve others. We love Jesus when we love others. We serve Jesus when we serve others. Others. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. I'm not saying don't practice spiritual disciplines. Please do not email me about that. Please do not text message me about that. Continue, please, to lean in to the spiritual disciplines in your life. We did an entire six-week teaching series about how important they are last summer. They're vital, they matter, they're beautiful, and they're transformative, and they're good, but please do not mistake them for the way that you love and serve Jesus. You don't love and serve Jesus by praying and reading your Bible. You love and serve Jesus when you love and serve others. He says that. Whatever you did for my brothers and sisters, you did for me. We love and serve Jesus when we love and serve others. We love and serve Jesus when we love and serve others. This is what Jesus' words in Matthew 25 and, and this challenge that we've been doing are all about. Because you see, the Matthew 25 challenge, it didn't end with the prayer walk yesterday. It ends today with the opportunity to put Jesus' words into action to follow his command to love and serve people who are in need. Like John talked about last week, today we have the opportunity to turn some of our righteous anger, some of that stuff that, that kind of bubbles up in us when we hear those statistics at the beginning, we have the opportunity today to do something with that, to turn our righteous anger about the suffering of others into healing and restoration for them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of Jesus, we have the opportunity to do that. And the way that we're doing it today is through our partnership with World Vision. And one of the leaders of this incredible organization is here with us this morning to tell us more about it. So I want to invite Liz Mendoza to come up on stage. Y'all give Liz a round of applause. Liz is awesome. Liz drove here from Houston this morning. So I know a lot of y'all, you came from Kyle or Round Rock or something. That was a long drive, but it wasn't Houston, right? So thank you so much for being here. Um, world Vision has been helping people around the world, I really think in, in kind of an unparalleled fashion but with its scope and its impact since 1950. Can you tell us a little bit more about just what you all do? 
Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, and you guys are incredible and can already feel what God has been doing here in this congregation. Um, so World Vision, we are a large Christian humanitarian organization. Um, we, like you said, we've been around since the 1950s. We work in about 100 different countries around the world. Over 90% of our staff is actually indigenous, meaning that they come from within the countries that they're working. So if we're in Ethiopia, it's our Ethiopian staff. If we're in Kenya, it's our Kenyan staff. It's this beautiful representation of of each of us bringing our gifts to the table to really serve these communities. Our heart is to move communities from poverty to self-sustainability. Oh, that's beautiful. And you've seen it happen, right? Incredible ways. Um, Bob Pierce was the founder of uh, World Vision back in 1950. I shared a little bit about his story last week, if you were here, and, and the little girl that was placed in his arms in China when he was on a trip over there. And um, I, I didn't ask you to prepare for this, but um, Bob has a, a saying that he says all the time that World Vision says all the time, and it's just like that little, little thing, and it's... Um, Let my heart be broken for the things that break God's heart. And that's his prayer. That's the prayer that he passes down to his team, and it's the prayer that I've been praying since we started partnering up with World Vision, and it's the prayer that I think we should all pray all the time. Let our heart be broken for the things that breaks God's heart. So after all of this time, since 1950, so 70 years of service and sharing the love of Jesus with people around the world, after all of World Vision's work and research around the globe, what have you all found to be the most effective way of helping people facing extreme poverty. Yeah, absolutely. So in the beginning, it started kind of like as relief work, right? Like that first little girl who we took in. Um, and while we do still do relief and disaster work, we even do stuff here in the U.S., U.S. programs. Um, what we have found over the years is our most impactful thing is what we call our um, area development programs or our ADPs, as you will hear them being called. Um, and that's really the way that we're stepping into communities, moving them from poverty to self-sustainability. And when I say that, we're not just coming in, dropping, what they need and then leaving, we're committing to these communities for 20 to 25 years to make sure that by the time we pull out as an organization, they are fully free. They are doing it on their own. They're empowered. They're equipped. Um, the first couple years are just built and built in relationships. We're just building relationships for the first three years, saying, who are our community leaders? How can we come alongside you? What are the needs? Um, and then we game plan with them. Like I said, not we as in like the white Americans, but we as in our Ethiopian and our Kenyan staff who are the ones who are sitting there coming along. Um, we work in what we call the five fingers of development. Um, so wash, water, sanitation, hygiene, right? Nothing else can happen if you don't have access to clean water, as you've seen this week. So water, education, healthcare, food security, and then we're also doing micro loans with these communities, teaching them how to save a little bit. Whenever the water well breaks, they have kind of that pool in there. Um, and that's really where the sponsorship model comes in. Sponsorship makes all of those pieces work. Um, it allows us to be in those community long terms because of people just like you investing in the life of a child and saying, I'm going to come alongside not only this family, but this community. And I've gotten to see this play out firsthand. I got to travel to Ethiopia back in 2016. I have three sponsor kids. I've gotten to meet one of them, Maritech. And I got to actually see the work that World Vision is doing in her community. Um, they were in uh, the second year when I was there, so they were just in the relationship building. But just to see the work that was already happening was pretty phenomenal through sponsorship. 
Gosh, that's so amazing. And I love that it's so close to our heart um, of our, our core value of partnership, that we are partnering with people who are already doing great things. And it's World Vision's model as you work with 90% indigenous staff, that you are partnering with people on the ground already doing great things. So you talked about sponsorship. So if we are here and we feel God moving in our heart and we want to step in and sponsor a child, what are we really committing to? Yeah, so first and foremost, the thing that you're committing to is committing to partner with a, with a family on the other side of the world and saying, I want to be your champion, your encourager. I want to walk alongside you and make sure that you have the tools that you need to overcome poverty. So that's first and foremost the thing that you're coming. You're committed to a relationship, an intentional relationship with these families. The second thing that you're committing to is how to actually make it happen by $39 a month um, is all that it takes to give communities um, the tools that they need to overcome poverty. And the cool thing that I love about sponsorship is because the way that whenever you sponsor one kid, it's not like all your money gets just to the one person. It actually goes towards the entire community. So your one $39 a month actually impacts four more kids. That's five kids who get the benefit of your $39 a month, which is just phenomenal. That's huge. I love that. I love that. Um, now, if you've been around church or nonprofit, you've probably heard of child sponsorships. And usually this is the point where we would invite you to head out into the lobby and there would be a bunch of packets with just the cutest little kids' faces on them. And you would kind of sift through it and you would look for a kid that kind of just especially jumped off the page to you. But a year ago, about a year ago, World Vision flipped the script. And they created an avenue where, for the very first time, kids have the opportunity to choose their sponsors instead of sponsors having the opportunity to choose the kids. It is unbelievably amazing. World Vision has been empowering kids for years through the community empowerment sponsorship model, but for the very first time, they're putting the power to choose in the hands of a child from the very beginning. And it's a, a simple switch that it just recognizes the God-given dignity and value and honor of everyone involved. We all need someone that is rooting for us, that is cheering for us, that is believing in us, that is choosing us. And the Chosen Initiative is seriously one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my life. And I want to show a video so you can get a better look at what happens when a child is empowered to choose their sponsor for the very first time. So check this out. In the heart of downtown Chicago, hundreds gathered who wanted to sponsor a child through World Vision. But unlike so many sponsorship events before, this one was a bit unexpected. Instead of having people choose a kid from a set of photos, like sponsorships been done for decades, we did something that we've never done before.
choice is theirs. The choice to take hold of their future, to pursue their God-given gifts, to become change makers in their communities, and even the choice to step into a life-changing relationship with you. Oh, video gets me a little bit. That video in the, the Chosen Initiative reminds me of a quote from one of my favorite pastors, a guy named John Perkins. He says, you can't give dignity to anyone. God has given it to everyone. The choice we make is whether or not to recognize that God-given dignity in someone. And Chosen does that. He recognizes the God-given dignity in every person, especially those that the world would call the least of these, but that Jesus calls my brothers and sisters. So, Liz... I know it's only been happening for less than a year and not even in that many churches in that time, in the kind of beta test time, but can you tell a story just about how Chosen has kind of gone so far? Yeah, I mean, as you can see, the power of what this is by putting that choice back into the child's hands. And um, I remember it's a story from one of the first churches that got to pilot this and it was something that we thought we would do once and never do again. And we saw something profound happen in it um, in the dignity and empowerment of our kids. And I always think of um, a woman named Yinka, who is a lawyer in the Chicago area, um, and a little girl named Mary, who lives in Mawala, Kenya. Um, and what I love about their story is um, the beauty of sponsorship is that God unites hearts across the world, right? Like he ties us together in ways that we can only say were just profound and holy moments where God stepped in. And so for Yinka, she was a lawyer. She had signed up to be chosen um, and was praying for God to use her. That was her prayer going into that Sunday morning saying, God, would you use me? She showed up, had a very tangible way that God could use her. So she said, yes, I want to be chosen. Um, little did she know that over over across the ocean in Mawala, Kenya, a little eight-year-old named Mary um, worked so hard that she would be chosen. And Mary has worked so hard in school. She said that she, you know, is working on her studies because one day she wants to become, as you can guess, a lawyer. <laughs> Only God could ordain such a beautiful, holy moment where um, this little girl named Mary who had been praying for years that she would be chosen and for Yinka to allow her that opportunity to choose her. Um, and the fact that they have this similar career path that now they get to enter into this really beautiful relationship, an intentional relationship where they get to encourage and spur one another on. Oh, that's good. So me and my family, we have been so excited about this for over a year. In fact, um, a lot of self-discipline to not be chosen so far. We've waited until this morning so that we could do it all together. And I'm going to give you the details on how to do that in just a second. But before we do that, one more question. If we decide to get chosen today, kind of what happens next? Yeah, so today um, in a community in Bangladesh called Hazaraba, um, there are hundreds of kids who are waiting for people just like you to choose them. Um, and so uh, Bangladesh has 162 million people and is one of the world's most densely populated country. Bangladesh sits in the most disaster-prone area um, in the world, including cyclones and floods that have literally killed thousands of people over the year and have impeded their economic growth. Um, and it's still actually considered one of the poorest countries in the world. In fact, only since 2018, for the very first time, did it move off of UN's list of least developed countries. Just since 2018. 
And this is the community that you guys get to step into. Because of the work of people like you saying yes to be chosen, saying yes to step into that intentional relationship, we get to see it continue to move farther and farther off of that list, right? And be developed to see these communities become empowered to be able to be all that God has called each of them to be. Um, and so you get the opportunity to step in and to say yes to that. Oh, that's awesome. So we're going to fill something out if you want to, and then at the end, you'll take a picture. If you saw, there's a photo booth on your way in, so you can take a picture out there. If you're watching online, you can submit a picture through the app as well. So what happens to that picture? Kind of where does it go? What's its journey? Yeah, so your little picture of you and your family, or maybe just you, is about to take the most epic journey and be a part of one of the most epic choosing parties. Um, actually, this week, your picture is going to be hung up just like you saw on a string with other people pictures where a child is going to get to be welcomed into a room and they're going to get the opportunity to choose you. Um, and then next weekend, you'll actually get a, a, what we call a reveal email that's going to show you the child that picked you and a little bit about them. Awesome. So that's kind of what's coming next. Um, thank you so much, Liz. Y'all give Liz another round of applause and for the work at World Vision. So thankful for you guys. She's going to head up to the lobby in just a second so that she'll be there if you have questions or just want to talk about World Vision. But if you're ready to be chosen, here's how you do it. This card is under your seat, so I want you to grab it and I want you to hold it up. I want us to all do this together. I'll wait for you. This is what it looks like. So grab it, hold it up. Good, 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 good. Okay, so it is incredibly complicated to get chosen, as you can see from the card. That's a joke, it's not. You text restore to 56170. Text restore to 56170. And then you'll just simply walk through the prompts that'll ask you your information and ways to contact you and, and your information to pay for the $39 a month. And then the very last thing that it'll ask you for is uploading your picture. And so what we're gonna have right now, I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and we're gonna have a time of reflection, a time where we can consider if this is something that God is leading us to do. And I'm not even gonna ask you to stand, I'm just gonna ask you to sit in your seats as the band is up here and they're gonna play through that song that we just sang at the end called Build My Life, that we will build our life upon his love because of a firm foundation and then that we, we, through us, Jesus will move to love those around us.